Episode 127, Evans Kerrigan, co-founder and CEO of the firm Integris Performance Advisors. But I was I was really bothered by by two things that I and I think they were kind of my fault actually. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, a transcripts, video, and more, go to markraven.com slash mistake127. Now, on with the episode. Our guest today is Evans Kerrigan. He is the co-founder and CEO of the firm Integris Performance Advisors. So before I tell you a little bit more about Evans, um, first off, thank you for being here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Mark. So Evans um, served in the United States Air Force before going into the private sector in uh, the financial services um, industry. Um, Again, the firm is Integris Performance Advisors, and Evans is co-author of a book um, with his uh, colleague from the firm, Brett Cooper. Uh, The book is titled Solving the People Problem, Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace. So we'll get to learn a little bit more about the book and delve in. But as we usually do here, Evans, um, first off, you know, looking back at things, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Well, I think that's such a wonderful question. Uh, And I'll be honest, Mark, when you asked for my favorite mistake, I actually started with a list. Uh, But I do want to go to one (laughs) kind of favorite mistake that really kind of helped me in my career and I think has helped a lot of our clients, actually. And and I would reflect back to when I first started as a consultant. And uh, so this is actually coming up on 20 years ago for me now. Uh, coming out of corporate America, I was becoming a consultant. It was in the field of continuous improvement. So I was working with organizations to help improve their business processes, their ability to get stuff done for customers, as well as help the people in the organization. And that's part of what I had done while I was in uh, corporate America as well. And I reflect back on one of the first clients that I had asked me to come in and actually help train some of their people in continuous improvement methodologies, how they could actually just fix what they were doing, and mm-hmm. actually had me do some coaching of a few projects with them as well. And the client was actually happy with the results, and I was feeling like we actually left a lot on the table. And, and, and by that, here's here's what I mean. Mm-hmm. We were we were training people to do skills and techniques to figure out what was really happening in their business and, and, and improve those things. But several of the project teams I worked with, the answers that they came up with, the things that they found, didn't actually get implemented that way. Mm. They got changed along the way. There was uh, somebody in leadership would say, "Yeah, but I don't. That's not what we're going to do here." Or there were a lot of things that got left on the table. We made a lot of money. Some of the projects delivered really great results. And I mean, the ROI mm-hmm. for the organization, they were happy with. But I was, I was really bothered by, by two things that I, and I think they were kind of my fault, actually. The first was I, we didn't do enough kind of setting the ground for people to actually listen to what we found out about. So we, we would come to them with, hey, here's what we found. Here's what we've learned. But we hadn't taken them along enough of that journey. So. So we kind of missed out in that in that mark. And the other thing that I 
that was really kind of a disappointment to me was the people we took through that, they got some support on a project, but they kind of didn't go out to try something else. So, so the organization didn't really change. A few of their processes, yeah. but the organization didn't. And, and so I was a little frustrated about that uh, myself. Sure. And, and I think there's, there's things that I, sh- I should have done differently. And it, it, so it was one of those things where I, I kind of took a step back and said, wait a minute, how should I have approached this differently? Um, and, and there, there are some pretty good lessons I could take out of that one to, to kind of approach this in another way. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot we can um, dig into, uh, I think, off of that story and scenario, Evans. I mean, one, one question that comes to mind, I mean, like, when did it sort of click or become apparent to you that there was this problem kind of underneath the surface success of the engagement of that lost potential or leaving it on the table? When, when did you really start to see that? It was actually the second of the projects. Uh, I was coaching, I think it was five or six different projects. And, and it was the second project where uh, all of a sudden I realized and should have kind of done a lot more work up front. I, I realized that leadership was not along for the journey on this one. And and a team had put in good work and then their answers weren't listened to. The data they had found wasn't listened to. And, and if, if you're in that situation, you're trying to get people to start to become more problem solvers, we really kind of set them up to fail. And, and, mm-hmm. and it, was, it was me not asking the right kind of questions, not of the people I was coaching at all, uh, but of leadership and of what the organizational culture was. And what I found was I was doing a really good job, I think, uh, of working mm-hmm. on some technical, tactical, technique, skill kind mm-hmm. of areas. And I was missing what sometimes we call the soft stuff, mm-hmm. uh, it, the the uh, getting buy-in from people, the uh, uh, emotional intelligence, the te- team imp- interactions, the leadership, really, really kind of the culture, and and really what as, as an outsider, what I needed to help them do was change the culture, not to actually solve yeah. the little problem that was entering argument. Do you think they agreed? Like one thing I've run into, I, I do consulting work in a, you know, a very similar space here. You might see the need or the potential for culture change, but do the leaders, like if, if they, if they framed the situation as, Hey, Evans, come in and help us fix some details in our process. Like we're, how do you find out if they're on board with culture change or how would you try to maybe open their eyes to that possibility? So I would say upfront, what I, I probably was not aware of it, not quickly enough. Mm-hmm. And but what I found out later on, when I started to go back and work with them, because they actually, they were very happy with the results up front mm-hmm. and wanted me to actually do more work. What I found was my conversations with them changed. And I started pushing in a little bit different way, um, really trying to make sure that we weren't going to take a team through work and then yank the rug out from under them. I mean, that was, that was kind of my, my, my initial concern. I mean, what I also found was, although they were happy with that initial success, at least some of them started to question, okay, well, why weren't people kind of taking these skills further? Not realizing that sure. they were actually part of that problem. <laughs> so, right. uh, and I think that that's a normal thing that happens in organizations. And um, Very, yeah. so I became uh, much more aggressive at kind of really pushing that uh, uh, to the extent where um, I, I had one potential client who had brought 
brought me in as uh, one of their finalists. And uh, what they wanted was exactly what this first client had asked for. They wanted me to do training. They wanted to run some workshops. Mm-hmm. They wanted to do a little mm-hmm. bit of that. Um, and that was not actually what I wrote up that we were going to do. And uh, actually, I just took the things they wanted to do and we put them all in the appendix. We said, mm-hmm. okay, if you really want to change, here's what I think you need to do. And it's about culture. It's about leadership. It's about teams. It's about emotional mm-hmm. intelligence. The skills are the easy part. If I can change sure. the mindset. Um, so, uh, so they asked me to come in and uh, I actually, in the final uh, interview with them as one of the finalists, I actually grabbed a sheet of paper and wrote down a couple of consultants in their local area who could do what they were asking for mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and handed that to them and said, you know, if, if that's really what you want to have done, I don't want to be a part of it because I don't think you're going to end up happy with this yeah. a year or two years from now. Um, uh, luckily, uh, a couple of people on the team evidently seemed to agree with me because uh, we did end up with that work. Um, oh, and actually, it was, yeah, it was, it, it was good work, but it was work where we had kind of said, we want to be your partners in this, not just your set of hands. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and the fact that we had pushed that discussion with us kind of led to us having, being able to have a better discussion with the people who were learning about that and trying to do the work inside the organization as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one thing you, you mentioned earlier for the client to be happy with the results. But yeah. then there's also, I think, the question of what's sustainable, what happens mm-hmm. when the consultant goes away, or what happens if there's um, a leadership change in the area. You know, there's this question of, um, I think, also what builds a culture. You know, I, I'll share an example. The last manufacturing company I worked for before um, my work shifted into a healthcare focus, you back in 2005. In, in this factory, they had trained, let's call it 500 people. It was roughly that. They had trained and certified 500 Six Sigma black belts. This is people doing the work. Um, and you had to do a project to get certified. And they would have um, you know, all the certificates on the wall. But I think, honestly, the number of projects completed was in the ballpark of like 503 People did their certification project. They ticked that box. I don't know how many of those projects really led to sustainable change, but you know, I, and I think you're 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 saying the same thing. Of you know, we it's not the fault of those belts. Of like, well, shame on you. Why didn't you do more projects? That's dependent on the environment, right? Yeah, yeah. For for me, I, I look at all those continuous improvement methodologies and say they're cultural change. If they're going to be successful, they're, mm-hmm. they're not. The tools, the tools are just uh, there. They're tools in your tool belt. You got to figure out what it is you're trying to actually create and make happen. And and what we have found with 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 our clients, and I mean, this was kind of the big switch from the upfront. Uh, when I first started getting frustrated with those uh, projects uh, in that first client, I kind of doubled down on statistical analysis and trying to prove my point harder. And, and that wasn't actually the issue. Nobody could hear that conversation yeah. because I hadn't taken care of what we actually kind of consider the soft stuff, right? And, and the yeah. soft stuff in many ways is that that's actually the hard stuff. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually kind of having that difficult conversation about what does success actually look like? And, and if you want to actually make that cultural change, that can't be something that leadership delegates and says, train a bunch right. of my people and they'll make that happen. 
that's that's not where it is. It's about leadership actually kind of wandering in, getting uncomfortable because a lot of the things that don't work in an organization are decisions we made in a boardroom or a conference room mm-hmm. that made sense from a spreadsheet perspective and didn't make sense when I went out to the when I went out to the floor and actually saw what it was making happen. And yeah. and being able to have those more con- uh, more challenging conversations with leadership lets them be a party to it. And if you want to make any mm-hmm. positive culture change. Leadership can't kind of sit on the sidelines and hope that's going to happen for them. Yeah. So thinking, you know, uh, almost 20 or you know, roughly 20 years later now, I mean, I think you've alluded to some adjustments that you made, Evans, of, of you know, coming in with a proposal, trying to guide the client in a direction that might be more beneficial to them. Um, what are some other adjustments that you've made to your approach based on those things that you were learning early on as being a consultant? Yeah, so a big part of the change for us, and, and it's really, this is part of where Integris actually came from, kind of creating that firm. Uh, I've been doing continuous improvement work, and that predated Integris. But that whole shift in focus to say, it's really about these other pieces. Um, when we talk continuous improvement, frequently we talk about fixing a process, a business process. And, mm-hmm. and what we really learned is there's a couple of really big processes that overarch the whole thing that kind of make up our culture and it's how leadership interacts, how we interact as teams and as individuals. It's the respect we have for each other, whether we can actually hear each other. So when we talk with folks now and and the majority of our work is, is actually more in the emotional intelligence kind of field Mm -hmm. and it's helping people better be able to interact because the communications between individuals and the respect that we can have about honoring the fact that we come to things from different perspectives, that's what really uh, uh, kind of sets the ground for being able to make any movement forward. And if I don't take care of those issues, my my changes end up being surface changes. They're not sustainable, mm-hmm. and and they they get cut down. I worked with one client where I, I honestly had a discussion with their senior leadership, saying, "Here's part of the problem you guys have is it takes a village to say yes in this organization, and it takes an individual to say no." And any progress forward, it's it's so easy to knock off even trying to move forward that you're wondering why your people aren't more creative because you've trained them. That's not going to serve them. Yeah. So it, we found that having those kinds of discussions have just been it, it makes the, the continuous improvement work kind of simple for people. If If as leaders, if we recognize that our people know this work better than we ever will and yeah. we need to be listening to them. If I can actually make that shift in my mindset, that's what really helps us out. What we what we find so often is leaders and others in the organization, we may talk a good game, but we don't actually make that shift in our mindset. Yeah. Somebody approaches something a little bit differently, we think they're wrong, not just different, not have a different perspective that we could learn from. Yeah. And and these are, you know, some different leadership mistakes that you've, you know, know, I think sketched out during the conversation at the risk of making a mistake. um, This is not going to be the most respectful way of of putting it, but I'm going to go for the joke here. When you talked about the village, in my mind, I almost thought you were going to say, and you're smart to not say it this way. It takes a village to say yes to an idea, but it only takes one idiot to say no. I don't know. I'm thinking of the phrase village idiot. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's perfect. I mean, because the real... The real situation here is it, it's not that people are idiots. It's not that people are stupid a, at all. It, I mean, these were really smart people, mm-hmm. but who hadn't gone through what was actually happening. 
they, they had kind of their own perspective of what was happening in the world and they couldn't get out of that to hear a different perspective. It's, it's right. not at all. It, it's, it's really sometimes our IQ is actually what gets in the way of our actually being able to move forward. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's, I mean, it, you're right. It's not, I mean, you know, these, these executives and leaders and employees um, are, are not idiots. It, it fascinates me. Um, maybe this is why this is all studied so much, how an organization full of incredibly smart people can be organizationally stupid sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's actually where we came up with the book and, and kind of why we wrote the, the book. For, for a big part, what we see is we really value IQ very highly uh, in business. But it's, it's EQ or emotional intelligence that actually is probably going to be a better indicator of what we're able to successfully do in any kind of an organization where I've got more than one person there. Yeah. So, so kind of helping people shift that focus because we need to be able to understand differences. And, and there's that aspect of if somebody's got a different approach than me, that's the opportunity I have to learn. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. So Evans, let's, um, let's talk um, about the book. Again, we're joined today by Evans Kerrigan. He's co-author of the book. Um, the title is Solving the People Problem. Um, subtitled Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace. Um, so let, let's let's talk about um, the title, Solving the People Problem. Um, you know, like sometimes uh, it, leaders, maybe back to your scenario, Evans, of, of being brought in to train people, like there's this implied, implicit statement, well, the problem is my frontline staff. And if I could just train them on continuous improvement methods, they'll be better employees, will be more successful. That, that's not what you're implying with the title of the book, though. So no, no, no can you not, tell us more? Yeah, not at all. Actually, uh, yeah. I kind of come from the same school of thought that I think you do, Mark. Uh, our, our people are never really the problem. What we have them doing might be a problem. Uh, mm -hmm. What we ask of them, uh, how we set them up potentially against one another in terms of rewards, there's all kinds of things that can be a problem. But when we talk about the people problem, it's not the people themselves. It's the fact that because we're all a little bit different and we all communicate a little bit differently, there's friction in the way in yeah. which we share ideas with one another and the way in which we can actually hear the lessons of one another. When I was uh, in undergrad way, way back, uh, I remember one of my communication professors said, it's not what you say, it's what the other person actually hears. That's communication. <laughs> and, yeah. and the reality is, we don't tend to hear what the other person is trying to say all that often. We tend to write it through filters of our own. And if we can get a little bit more aware of those filters, if we can understand a little bit our perspective as well as the perspective of other people, we have a much higher success rate with any ideas that we're carrying forward. And it's not about winning the point. It's about being able to actually just communicate more clearly and more openly. So we've used mm -hmm. this kind of work with project teams that are working on projects with organizations to help people actually just be able to, to communicate with one another without some of that friction in the conversation. We talk about trying to create work relationships that really work. Right? Mm -hmm. We very rarely run into anybody who's really coming in to try and do bad work. That's not what's going on. But there may be some friction in the system. We may not understand exactly what they're asking. And, and all of that stuff leads to substandard performance for ourselves yeah. and for others. Yeah. And I, I like that phrase you use, um, winning the point, whether it's a discussion in a meeting or trying to get some sort of proposal accepted. Uh, one lesson I've had to learn in my career is, uh, you know, the, the, the most logically correct idea isn't always going to win. 
And yeah. there are realities of uh, politics, psychology, people being complicated. It took me a while to sort of get past um, feelings around like, well, it's not fair that my idea didn't get approved. I'm like, well, the world, the organization maybe doesn't care about fairness or, you know, it could have been a different perspective. Um, maybe I didn't do enough when it came to, I know there were times where I didn't do enough when it came to relationships. And those are some mistakes that I've made um, in, in, in my career, um, just kind of being brought brought forth by the conversation here. But what, what are your thoughts here about helping people get past the idea of, you know, my idea has to win versus finding what's really best for the organization? Yeah. So part of that, here's where we're going to run into that, that whole leadership idea. Right? Uh, it, it's up to leaders to help communicate what actually is important to the organization. And if I hope everybody's going to kind of come across that, I'm setting up more and more of those instances where, I feel like I've got to win because I have the right idea for the organization or somebody else does. It, it, part of it is just about how we, how we clear those things up. And I think all too often we expect people know what it is we're trying to do. And that's got to be able to, we got to be able to have a conversation about that, a conversation where we can both hear one another. It's not a one way conversation, right? So if we can learn from one another, we're actually starting to open up our ability to have more and more conversations about more and more interesting impactful things so that we can contribute in a better way. So it's one of the ways that ties to leadership. And Mark, I'm like you. I mean, that, you really put it very well. That was my problem right up front. I was trying to come up yeah. with a perfect answer, mm -hmm. but the results are going to be, what's the answer that's actually going to be implemented? Not what's the perfect answer. And, it, and, and, it and really you know, I think back relationship. to relations. Yeah. Okay. So on relationships, like there's a, a phrase that comes to mind. Um, I think this is from um, the old, uh, late UCLA basketball coach, John Wooden, or maybe it's attributed to other people. Um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, and, and it has been used in a lot of places. I think I've heard that for, uh, as an FDR quote. I've, I've heard that in a bunch of different sure. places. Sure, yeah. I mean, wouldn't I have heard it from somebody? Yeah, it's it's one of those truisms that it, it was probably said by many, many people because it is true. It is true. If, if I don't know that you're actually looking out for me, which is the case, unfortunately, in a lot of places for workers feeling about their leadership, it doesn't matter exactly what I say because they're not watching what I say. They're watching what I do. Mm -hmm. And frequently we see those things not actually supporting one another. So uh, so we do a lot of work around leadership, around leaders gaining a little bit more self-awareness about what's really required of a leader. Um, because a leader, in, in our mind, a leader is more of a servant. A leader is not the boss. Right. Yeah. A, a, a leader is a servant, right? It's how can I help my people be so successful that I can't help but be successful because of it? So if I can understand what my people actually need in terms of my actions, in terms of my behaviors, in terms of my communication, it's really about mm -hmm. the people I work with. And, and I can take that from a leader who's in a position of leadership, but I can take that from anybody in the workplace or even outside the workplace, right? If, if I'm coming at this from a, the spirit of, if I understand you well enough, I can communicate in a way that helps you be more successful and helps me be more successful. And mm -hmm. that's the way we really all ought to be kind of approaching this, this life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult. I'm curious your thoughts on this dynamic of um, being brought in as an outside consultant. Um, people sometimes look at you um, 
crossways or what they give you the what do they say they give you kind of the side eye like you know I don't you know they don't they don't know if they can trust you especially if um, maybe they if they if they don't trust their leadership so if, uh, leadership if you're brought in by leadership as a consultant you know it took me a while to figure out like they're not I like this isn't something I should take personally no. this is a it's not that they don't trust me it's more of the yeah. position and the situation that I'm in what what have you learned Evans about trying to um, you know, set things up where, um, you know, you, you're, you're maybe not starting off behind the eight ball, if you will. Well, I don't know that you get to choose whether you're going to start off behind the eight ball because that, that's part no. of what the culture already <laughs> is, right, when you come in. Sure. Uh, for sure. for me, I would say the, the big thing is is being authentic. And it's, it's to what, one of the things you said, Mark, it's about showing that you actually care, showing that you're mm-hmm. listening, that it, it's not about sides. It's about trying to help us all find a better way. And and even if leadership may have brought me in, that doesn't mean I'm going to say what is going to just make leadership happy, right? And, and from my perspective, uh, there was a wonderful book that came out several years ago. Um, it was uh, Employees First, Customers Second, something to that effect, uh, where customers really do matter. Absolutely. But I cannot serve the customer if I'm not serving the people who work here. That's going to come through. So, and, and I, I kind of believe that in, in, in kind of every fiber of my being. And and it's, so when I go out and I talk with people, um, I think it comes across relatively quickly that I'm caring for them. I I don't come in with an answer because Mm -hmm. I can't know their job as well as they do. I can help have some tools that may help uh, open some stuff up for them, help them see things in a little bit different way, but I'll never know their job as well as I do. So I have great respect for people who I uh, have the opportunity to actually work with and talk with um, because they're great at what they do. There may just be some techniques, styles, whatever that I can use to, to help them be able to be a little bit more effective. But it's up to them. Yeah. We, we've always viewed the consulting role as um, kind of like a whitewater river guide, if you will. Right? We've been through the rapids and we've done some of these improvement mm-hmm. efforts. And we've done mm-hmm. these things in the past, but it's never really our journey. At, at the end of the day, I've got to be somewhere else. Whatever the group got out of that, that's for the group. And, and mm-hmm. our goal is that they can actually be leading about the next time themselves, right? They, they don't need us along the way, but it's never our journey. And, and I think one of the challenges that sometimes consultants make is thinking it's, it's theirs and it isn't, it, yeah. it's always the clients. I am only right. there. I'm the easiest person to get rid of. And I should be because <laughs> yeah. if we're really talking about culture change, which we're talking about, if we're talking about EQ or we're talking about leadership or we're talking about continuous improvement at the end of the day, the organization has to own it. It can't be mm-hmm. an outsider owning it. So. Yeah, yeah, that's very. I think that's very true. Um, so, one final question for you, Evans. Yeah. Um, again, the yeah. book is "Solving the People Problem: Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace." You know, um, you've been you know consulting twenty years. Your your career um, goes back uh, before that, private sector and military. What I mean is, is there a key? change that comes to mind uh, thinking in terms of well, what's different about today's workplace compared to say 20 years ago or more? Wow. There are so many things that have changed, but I, I think most of those are just kind of, that's background. Um, I think mm-hmm. one of the things that's really interesting is technology is, 
has seemed to pick up in pace and all these other things are happening. To be perfectly honest, I think that actually relationship, connection, emotional intelligence, those things have actually become more important, not less. It's it's the sure. connections we make. And if, if I look around at the organizations I work with, almost everybody is realizing they actually aren't an individual at work. They are part of a group at work that can get things done together, the better they work with one another. And I, I, I think when we when we take it from that perspective, we try to actually increase our emotional intelligence, which is really malleable. What we find is the work gets better, the results get better, but also we get a little bit better and life's a little bit more pleasant as well. So it, it has a it has a really wonderful uh, feedback loop that it sets up for itself. So I think it's actually that relationships become more important at the same time that technology seems to be running away from uh, away from mm-hmm. us in some ways. Yeah, and I bet a lot of these essential skills for leaders are probably pretty timeless, even though that environment and that background changes. They they definitely are. When you take a look at it from a leadership perspective, technology is changing with Moore's Law kind of really quickly. At the same time, uh, uh, our adaptations don't move all that quickly. And in a lot of ways, we're reacting with a, a, a brain that was suited for several centuries ago trying to kind of keep up and catch up. So those relationships and being able to support one another become really critical. Yeah. Well, well said, Evan. So um, the website for the book is www.solvingthepeopleproblem.com. I'll put a link in um, the show notes. Uh, Our guest again has been Evans Kerrigan. He's CEO and co-founder of the firm Integris Performance Advisors. What's the website for Integris? The website for Integris is www.integrispa, Integris Performance Advisors, .com. And if you go out there, you'll see a lot of our services. But a lot of the services around the EQ side of the stuff are going to be on that solving the people problem. And one of the things that we actually have out there is uh, an EQ survey that you can actually take. And if any of your listeners would like to take that, if you go to solvingthepeopleproblem.com, click on the What's My Disk EQ it will take you to a survey, and if, for this uh, group, if you want to put in the word favorite, that will be your code to take the survey. And the survey is going to give you a little bit of what we consider the four key elements and how well you line up against those four key elements of emotional intelligence for yourself and for others. It's also going to give you ideas about what you can do to continue to increase your emotional intelligence in each of those four elements. Well, very good. Thank you for sharing that, Evan. So again, thank you so much for being a guest and and sharing with us here today. Thank you, Mark. This has been a wonderful conversation. Always great to talk to you. Thanks again to Evans Kerrigan for being our guest today. To learn more about him, his firm, and his book and more, look in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake127. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.